Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hi, I'm John McEnroe. I'm Bjorn Borg. This is Martina Navratilova. I'm Mats Wilander. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. And you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Novak Djokovic has won an eighth Australian Open title in eight final appearances 17 grand slam singles titles overall he's just two behind rafael nadal three behind roger federer uh, he's just beaten dominic team and he's doing his little tour of the studios he's going to go out and see all the fans out in garden square as we come to you just after the final which finished moments ago dominic team coming up short in five sets before we get into the detail we've got Catherine whitaker here we've got matt roberts here in our final tennis podcast of the Australian Open in 2020. Uh, we have been sponsored again, folks, by the Fever Tree Championships. We, we did that last week. We told you about it. Um, the tournament that we all get to work at in June, just before the Wimbledon Championships on the grass at the Queen's Club. And we want to tell you about their hospitality offerings and the opportunity to have a VIP day out at the Queen's Club. Don't forget they have some seriously good players every single year at Queen's. Andy Murray's won it five times and he's hoping to come back. He's got a career-long agreement to to play the event. Obviously, fitness permitting in his case, but you can rest assured that there will be some seriously big names there um, getting ready and getting their first taste of grass court tennis and trying to win that title. The hospitality offerings there to have a day out are pretty special. You can have any sort of level you want quite honestly whether you want to have a sort of sharing platter uh, with your mates to proper fine gi- fine dining menus you can have all the, the wines and the beers and the pims you like um, and obviously sample the uh, sponsors products as well Catherine that's your personal favourite isn't it I'd, I'd go sharing platter would you mm. okay well, I quite like picking up what I want from the menu I oh. like I like a platter should we do both <laughs> Oh, no, we can't. We're working. But anyway, it's great. You get centre court tickets, premium level centre court tickets, um, and you've got restaurant seats reserved all day. Some of the balconies at the hospitality level also overlook the practice courts as well, which is really cool. You, get, you can get close up and see all the players going through the serving and, and all their pre-match preparations, and then you get to see the whole, the whole thing, all the matches. 
Awesome. So go and have a look down our show notes, and there's a, a link there if you want to go and check out the options to uh, to get a day out, a special day out at the Queen's Club for the Fever Tree Championships. Right. Australian Open men's singles final has been completed. The whole tournament's been completed. We're in a deserted media centre, folks, and Novak Djokovic has done it. But a little bit like his Wimbledon triumph, which he won also in five sets, that one 13-12, uh, and in uh, in a final set tie break, the the celebrations were a little muted by comparison to some of his other Grand Slam successes. I mean, he he's looked exhausted for most of the the match today. Uh, there were moments of of roaring, but you know he's doing a little tour of the of the the centre court at the moment and showing the trophy off. But he does look whacked, to be honest. He, he's been having a chat with his support team, but it's it's not the the roaring. Um, Djokovic of, of some of his other triumphs but it it is a 17th major and I suppose it shows how much it takes really to keep on doing it yeah this and the US Open final contested between Rafael Nadal and Daniil Medvedev as sort of Matt summed up in one of his um, post match point tweets is just testament to what it takes to beat these greats you know these stubborn greats that don't want to go anywhere and it made me think about Mats Verlander's comments in his interview with you which um, we ran on the podcast probably about a week ago now it's about about the mid-tournament stage where he was talking about you know there are there are guys around capable of beating one of Federer, Djokovic and Nadal in a Grand Slam but can they do it twice and he came close Dominic team but he didn't do the double only Stan Wawrinka has done the Nadal Djokovic Grand Slam double here in 2014 he was helped a bit by a a Nadal injury that day but my goodness me they're going to take some (laughs) some budging aren't they I mean if we ever doubted it yeah that they're the ultimate pack hunters there's three of them Mm. it's it's a fact there's three of them and normally you're going to have to beat two of them at least um and it you mentioned that Wimbledon final David of that Djokovic won last year and in what struck me is that in that Wimbledon the final announcement Dominic Team will be in the main interview room at 12.40 in that Wimbledon final and again today in this final it felt like Djokovic was there for the taking a little bit but how many times does it feel like that and how many times is that actually a reality he understands how to win these matches even if he's not necessarily feeling his best or playing his best and it's it's an incredible ability that he has to win these big matches he's just so good at them imagine that being able to win major titles when you're not actually at your best that's incredible really yeah imagine if your specialist skill in life was just winning <laughs> i mean a, a year ago yeah. he was at his absolute best wasn't he against nadal and and uh, there were he started a little bit like that tonight um but but it didn't last and so last year it was just majestic it was total domination of nadal i know p- some people would say well nadal uh wasn't fully fit i i think that that re- 
reduces. The announcement Dominic team is now on his way to the main interview room. I don't think that Seven does. Ahead of schedule. <laughs> I, I, he just can't wait to talk to the world's media. I Dominic. think he's had enough. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he wants to take his frosted tips and go. Um, I think that did Djokovic down to, to talk too much about Nadal's physicality last year. He, he, uh, sorry, he was, to, did I say Dominic team? No, about Djokovic. Anyway. He, he was fit. He was just a bit undercooked. Yeah. Nadal. He but, was he, but he was also year. smothered by Djokovic's Mm. game and that's what happened at the start of this match it it did occur to me that we might get a a straight set drubbing from Djokovic because of the way he started because he suddenly team didn't look this destructive force that I was talking about last night who if he plays his best could blast Djokovic off the court he just wasn't allowed to, to get any room to play any of his big shots Yeah, he was being rushed by Djokovic's ability to stand up on the baseline and just redirect team shots. Team shots weren't knocking Djokovic back like I think we thought they would. And actually, Djokovic ended up looking like the more powerful player in the rallies. He was the one dictating with his precision and his timing and his power. But it didn't last. No, It, It didn't last more than about five or six games and it wasn't he was 4-2 up mm. and I think you actually showed me a statistic about that point that he'd hit more unforced errors in the first seven games than he had in the whole match of last year yeah, in the final that's right which, which didn't and it didn't really feel like that and I know that unforced errors are a subjective mm. measurement somebody's manually entering whether it's an unforced error or a forced error um, but at the same time it was a quick drop in level now team got better as well but even so it was um, it was quite quite a, a sudden drop off. It, today was the first day in I know I missed missed the opening day of the tournament, but the first day in fourteen days of this Grand Slam that's been windy, which is, is, is must have been the least windy Grand Slam, but certainly that I can remember. And it was it was a factor tonight, certainly in the opening stages. That um, I th- I think Dominic team struggled with with the adjustment it was chilly as well which he would have definitely preferred it to have been been hotter tonight um but yes there was one end of the court um my team was really struggling to to find his range and I think it was the end of the court that he started at and that sort of sent him a bit off kilter and just I mean Djokovic owns that stage doesn't he he's great at at you know, if you're coming out the slightest bit uncomfortable, he's a he's a Mary Carrillo says he's an apex predator, right? And you show a bit of weakness, and he's he's on you. He's on you, and he was he was on him, but it, it as you say, it didn't last, and it was that was the story of the match. Nothing lasted. It was it was peaks and troughs mm, and weirdness yeah. and 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 yeah, nothing. Nothing lasted. When you felt like... The announcement Dominic team is now in the main interview room. Thank you. When you, when you thought you'd got a handle on wh- where this match was going, yeah. it would change. Yeah. Which, you know, I mean, I, I've made a fool of myself enough times this fortnight. Um, but the, the, the way it went in sets two and three, I commentated on the second set. And that was the one where he, st- he just suddenly lost all timing, Djokovic. Um, and it was difficult to know. I mean... I think there was there was some there's some sort of physical issue. I don't know what it is. He hasn't told anybody about anything verbally in any of his press comments. He's kind of alluded to there being something. I think is that right, Matt? 
I, I kind of feel like that might that, that it might have been alluded to in the last couple of rounds that he wasn't feeling a hundred percent or something like that. Um, but there was no there was no sort of really big tangible thing that everybody was talking about. There was the point of, of his coaches Goran Ivanišević and Marian Vida cancelling a, a press conference yesterday to preview this this final. But that may just have been because it was time to practice and suddenly. Um, it, it clashed. We really don't know, but in sets in the second set, he he was um, yeah he lost his timing. I, I didn't think there was a massive physical issue then at all. It was about more about timing and team playing better, no question. And then he got r- rattled and riled. Did Djokovic? He got two time violations in the same game. One of them uh, delivering him a a loss of a serve. And then he walked up to umpire Damien de Massoir and he tapped his foot about five times and he said, well done, man, well done. Um, you've made yourself really famous now. Um, mission accomplished. And he sat down. I mean, it was, it was not, not pleasant, really. It was not pleasant what he, what he said. And, and actually, he, he could probably have got warned again there for that sort of dissent. Um, at the same time, I know, I know some people feel like maybe that those time warnings were... Well, one of them was perhaps hastily imposed on him, and some people will point out that a Rafael Nadal takes um, a long time and sometimes gets given a bit more leeway. And you know, it does depend on the an umpire's interpretation of a of a rally and etc. Before they when they press that that stop clock or or not. But it it wasn't pleasant. Didn't enjoy hearing that. At the same time, I've heard it many, many times from a lot of players over the years. I've, I remember Jim Courier saying that to, to an umpire. And it, I, again, I didn't like it. It's, it's not a nice thing to witness. I've heard Andre Agassi say it. But I also think it's stressful. It's stressful being out there. And yeah, I mean, it's not nice, but I'm not sure, I'm not sure I would handle it very no. well. And in the grand scheme of things, it, yeah, it's not nice, but it's not... It's not that bad. Um, it's just a strange... I always find it just a strange take to have. As you said, tennis players do always seem to say that to the umpire. Oh, well done for making yourself the story, making yourself the protagonist or whatever. It's something Kyrgios always says to the umpire. I just find that a bit weird. Like, they're just implementing a rule. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I, I agree with you. I mean, it's not... It, it it felt unpleasant. It's not it's not the wor- far from the worst thing in the world. Um, and it was the the thing is he was rattled long before that. He was rattled incredibly early on. He was rattled when he was a break up in the in the first set, which was really interesting. Um, and he seemed to be rattled by the crowd support for for Dominic Team. And look, I understand why he 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 gets rattled about that. This is not a new new conversation topic at all um, and perhaps he was he got rattled earlier <laughs> than perhaps he might have done elsewhere about that because he feels like he ought to have you know this is his turf but which, which but, when he came out onto the court he did have because he got welcomed onto the court by a big ovation by the by yeah. the crowd but it did turn quite quickly yeah i think i i think he i personally i think he misinterpreted it actually i think I think he does have an enormous amount of support here in Australia and on the on the Rod Laver Arena. I mean, not just because there's a huge and very vocal Serbian community. I mean, he had Garden Square 
Garden Square. I know he couldn't hear it or see it, but he, he had them. Um, and I think yeah, he did get a far bigger ovation out onto the court. Um, and I think that the crowd were as pro-team as they were in that first set because he went down early and they wanted a match. And team and, does get you whipped up. And team gets you whipped up. His tennis takes takes you with him. And, you know, obviously Djokovic has, has scar tissue about that kind of situation, but he, 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 he took it very badly um, when actually I think, I mean, it's easy for me to say, but he needn't have. I don't think they were negative about him in the way that other other crowds have been it certainly was extremely different to to the feel of the the Wimbledon final obviously mm. where Federer is involved it's always a bit different but it felt like he he perhaps understandably let himself get rattled about that situation when he needn't have I think you know he he could have taken won the crowd back but showing how rattled he was about it they were like <laughs> well, we're sticking was, with team then. There was, I think, there might have been an individual or a couple uh, to one side of the crowd that had got him really wound up because he, when he won the mm. match, he shushed those particular people, and and I noticed he'd he'd had a a bit of a, a look at them before, and I don't, I mean, who knows what they might have said? Might have been nothing. Might have been something right. that really got to him, um, but I think it's. It shows, I mean, and again, we don't know whether he was physically struggling or not, but I think it shows how stressed out he was because he, he you know, how many of these is, chances does he get to win? Now, he's, he makes it look like he's just going to get to all these finals and win them all, but he was under real threat tonight. And I, th- and I think there's a point that we need to make that part of the reason he was stressed was because team was hurting him. Team... Yeah. He, he, team was able to put him in an uncomfortable position that Nadal wasn't able to do in last year's final. And team's beaten him four out of five times. Exactly. So we, you know, we said how team wasn't having much of an impact at the start, but his game did have to, did begin to have an impact. And in the second and third sets, team was taking over, taking control of the rallies. Um, it looked like Djokovic had an energy, a power outage, and it all all the power went from his shots, and team was the one. You know, he was the aggressor, and that that was a stressful place for Djokovic to be. Whereas, whereas he's in his comfort zone against Nadal in last year's final in terms of the makeup of the rallies, and he knows that Nadal playing like he could couldn't really hurt him. And then he was just able to kind of sail on and win that match in straight sets. But team disrupted Djokovic with his game, and Djokovic got stressed about that. I think as well as the fact that he got himself stressed about the crowd and those two things made him seem really on edge when perhaps he didn't quite need to be so Mm. much I think perhaps as well it's heightened because I don't even think team was playing his best at that point and there's a knowledge that he has faced team at his best in the past and he's got beaten up by him well yeah we I think everyone noticed that team wasn't hitting his backhand down the line yeah. at mm. all well he was trying to hit it but missing and then and suddenly then he starts stopped Sud- trusting it and well, well he did he, start, he started making a few at the end of the third set and then you're thinking hang on a minute team's two sets to one up and his game's starting to click this is his chance but then Djokovic went through a phase I think it was the final game of the third set where he seemed to switch back into the match a little bit he, he threatened to break back didn't but he kind of felt his game was coming back and then the start of the fourth set he kept it together as well 
that was team's t- that was team's moment to raise his game I think and he didn't quite I don't think his game dropped but I don't think he was ever able to find his absolute best tennis tonight team. I do think team slightly choked at the end of that fourth set when he got broken I felt his nerve went betrayed him a little bit but the, but there's another gap here that we we need to fill because the third set is when Djokovic's body language told you that he was really struggling physically that's that's what what he was communicating um in in the way he was carrying himself on the court uh, did did he go for a medical timeout well, we what? don't really know yeah so he, he, he so the doctor came on court midway midway through the third set when he i think he was well, he was at least one break down in the third set at that point the trainer and the doctor came out and he had a chat with them and the course effects weren't high enough for us to really gather it. Tired was the only word we com- were confident that we could make out from that chat. He didn't. He didn't receive any treatment. I don't think he was given anything. They they left the court, um, and then. Well, Djokovic left the court. Yes. Yeah, so so the, then after, at the end of the third after set, the third set, he he just fifty <laughs> percent of the competitors. <laughs> just disappeared yeah, from, and, the, and from the, the mat. The umpire and, no, and the supervisor, nobody appeared to know when Novak Djokovic had gone, which uh, was a bit of a concern, really. That, that, you <laughs> it know. is a concern in a tennis match. <laughs> yeah, when you don't know when, I mean, where the players and are. And partly, Djokovic does have a little bit of that thing where it's going terribly and he just walks off. And we, we have sort of seen that before. Um, not the only one, but he does do that, and and it's almost like the Hawkeye challenge that somebody does with like a raise of an eyebrow, you know. And yeah. you're supposed to you're supposed to interpret exactly what that means. Mm. But at the same time, I was slightly surprised that he wasn't intercepted. Um, it, it's not a good look for for tennis that you've got one one player on court in the midway through the the biggest match of the competition, and the umpire's there on his radio trying to find out if one of the players is, is, is taking an injury timeout. It or, was, or it is was, in the building. Yeah. <laughs> it is, has he defaulted? What's, it's, yeah. you know, it, it's tennis a, needs to figure out some sort of rule on that because it looks not great. Not great. Um, but the, the thing is, Pat Cash, who was in our Five Live commentary box, was noticing how Djokovic kept sort of collapsing on his own serve. He was, he was sort of serving and then falling mm. forwards and, not, and just not timing it correctly. And in your words, it looked like he had a sort of power outage. And he, he, looked, he looked really sort of, I don't know, lightheaded. I don't know. I mean, the other day we had the, when he, he was struggling with the, the contact lenses. And, and I think he did intimate at that time that some, it wasn't the only thing that was, that was bothering him. I mean, he couldn't, it was like he, he couldn't really see. And, um, and I don't, I mean, who knows? Maybe, he has, maybe he's got a little bug or something like that. It's, it's difficult to know. Maybe they gave him some salts and it settled it down. It's impossible to know. And we, and we, we're not able to... I'm, I'm about to go to the airport in about an hour, so we, we're not going to be able to see him in the press conference to be able to, to, be able to grill him on that Let, fact. Let's also remember that um, two nights ago, uh, Dominic Thiem's semi-final against Alexander Zverev, he exhibited similar physical symptoms, um, not identical, but was looked to be... We speculated that he was... Ill rather than oh, yeah. injured, stomach he was clutching cramps, at his, wasn't it? It looks like clutching at his stomach, and he explained afterwards that it was stress. It was stress right. induced. And so I can really, I can imagine that really. Um, but it, it's only speculation. I have no idea what it is. 
Um, Twitter exploded uh, about about this with a lot of people saying, oh, he's, he's putting it on to try to put off his opponent. Twitter loves an explosion. Um, and referencing the, the final he had here against Andy Murray when he also looked sort of out on his feet um, and then came back strongly and won the match. And people seem really wound up by this uh, this concept. Um, I, I I personally, I mean, I, I, I get where people are coming from with that, but I also think it's just it's just a different way to handle feeling rubbish. Mm. Whether it's- you're physically feeling rubbish or whether it's going badly, some players like Nadal don't want to show you anything. Novak Djokovic, it appears to me just can't help but show everybody how he's feeling and that's his way of handling it yeah that's that's my take as well it's you know they're out there for three and a half four hours upwards of that sometimes you are going to have moments where you're feeling better and you're going to have moments where you're feeling worse that's just completely normal it's just it's far more obvious with Djokovic than it is with um especially Federer and Nadal who naturally are the comparisons that everyone that everyone makes um, and you know we were all saying look Djokovic will be able to reset from this we've seen this before team needs to not think that Djokovic is done here and, and I don't think he did um, but you know it, it, in, in that respect it, it just wasn't a different Djokovic match from other ones you know we've seen this before it's, I've got to was, say there was though, nothing new there I didn't think perhaps perhaps he seemed a little more irritated or angry about it it wasn't just a complete drop of energy there was some there was some frustration with it too but you know I just think it's these five set matches it's the peaks and troughs of them and he, he knows when to press the accelerator and when, when he needs to hold back. And, and it is a skill. Sometimes when he just has to ride it out yeah. and wait for it, the storm of the opponent or however he might be feeling to pass, I thought he was done. At the, I, th- I thought, not him, but the match, I thought team, having gone two sets to one up, would have, it. personally, I thought he'd have enough time then with two sets to go to swing, connect enough and win the match. I mean, I was wrong. But I thought that would happen. I, I would have thought so if Team was playing his best. But the fact that he wasn't bringing his absolute best tennis, I never felt certain that he was going to just grab control of the match in the way he did in his last two rounds because it was patchy. A, a lot of his tennis, even though he was in the lead, it was still quite patchy. Um, that was that was what I thought anyway. I just I just thought Djokovic would be able to mount some kind of comeback and what was it Valanda said about how they know how to do it yeah Mm. and I know that sounds like really lazy analysis they just somehow know how to do it but they just do it's experience (laughs) isn't it they just do no team has never done it more than experience but it's it's a sixth sense of course experience helps you don't know how to do it until you've done it yeah but it's chicken and egg, isn't it? Sure, but that's they the, do it in the first place but because that's the, the they've got the thing. glass ceiling that you have to break through. But you are at a great advantage as a over a five set slam final if you've done it several times before. If you've successfully done it, I would have thought anyway. 
of course, and a lot of a lot of people um, remark on the fact that that uh, Djokovic, Nadal, and Federer, for each of their first Grand Slams, they didn't have to face Grand Slam champions to to win them. That, that uh, yeah. not to diminish their <laughs> what they've gone on Federer to do. Federer played Philippoussis. Yeah. Djokovic played Songa. And Nadal played Puerta. Mariana well, Puerta. Yeah, that's a good point. I'd not so, thought of that. So that initial break of the ceiling, that hurdle, which we know, you know, Team Murray, so many of them, is, it's that first hurdle to, to, that's the most difficult to, to climb. They, it wasn't as huge a hurdle as it possibly could have been. Whereas Dominic Team and... Andy Murray before him and Stan Wawrinka, etc. They're all having to do it by beating yeah. these all-time greats. I've, I've just remembered Djokovic played Federer in the 07 US oh, Open final course, before yeah. he played Songa mm. in right. the Australian. But then he got a chance in a Grand Slam final very early in his career, not against mm. Federer or Nadal. Um, you, you, uh, you tweeted the Andy Murray quotes um, for team... I'm getting closer because he is getting he closer. He is getting closer. Mm. He lost in straight sets, four sets, and now five sets in his three slam finals. And it is increasingly feeling like team is slightly stepping into that gap that, that Murray's left as as the guy who is going to take some, some heavy blows in these grandstand finals at the hands of these guys. But... They're going to make him a better player, and they're going to, and eventually he he is going to get there. Um, he's also done this without playing his best. I mean, yeah. he's, he, I, I think against Nadal, yes, there were moments where it was just whoa. But even there, I kind of feel that I feel like there's another level there's that Dominic Team has got in him. And it, it's really struck me watching him live um, over the course of this week that there's. There's massive room for improvement on his serve. Imagine Dominic Team that's getting at least one free point a game on his serve because he basically gets no completely free points on his serve. It's and of course Nadal has to be the model because it's a very similar speed of serve. But Nadal has a beefed his up a bit. That was the talk of the Australian Open last year, wasn't it? They had changed his motion a bit, and B, his placement is just exceptional. Um, and I think if team could get anywhere near that, it would it would completely well not completely transform him, but it would be huge. You're another I think. layer, and it, it would and it would give him even more confidence in hitting out on his ground strokes because it's just that bit of extra cushion. Um, and Djokovic has done it with that ball toss well, exactly. thing that, that Goran's got him doing, and he's got Nicholas Masu, who I really think could could anybody out of <laughs> even the deepest hole of despair I I want some masseuse in my life just coaching me chap. through <laughs> the bad times he seems yeah he's, I also he's think and again I'm, I mean like I don't understand the technicals enough to know exactly to know what he'd need to do but I don't feel like team makes enough good returns mm. against these people um, there, there's I still think he, he can get served off, off a court a bit too too many times we saw it against Verev um, like he won the match but I, I felt like he missed a lot of returns that certain players would do a better job with I mean maybe it's more difficult for a, a one-hander to figure that out no I agree I, I remember the even when he played Nadal I felt like 
eventually he started hitting his backhand return a lot better but for a, a portion of that match it felt like Nadal had a little bit of a safe zone to go to when he was serving to team in a way that he doesn't have when he plays um, someone like Djokovic or Murray or Federer with his improved backhand return uh, so yeah I think serve and return are probably the two areas where you would look at team's game and what he has shown in, in the last year is an ability to make those improvements you know the mm. way now he he is committed to finishing points at the net when he has the opportunity he hits a big shot and he follows it in that is that's a massive improvement in his game just just one obvious one I mean there's a, there are other ones but it's such a good sign that, that he is making those adjustments it, it bodes well for well for the next few years for him really I think yeah um Djokovic on 17 now. And, and back to number one. And back to number one in the world. And if he stays at number one through the season, I think he needs to get to October the 5th, I think I saw. He will actually overtake Federer's record for most weeks ever at number one, which... Wow. I think that would be huge for him. Which would be... That's I mean, Djokovic one. has always talked so much about the ranking almost you know as important as slams in in his mind um so technically technically he could take both. sort of both of federer's records this year yeah well he could equal the slam record yeah. and he could he and he could he overtake federer's number one record yeah i mean calendar slam i i can't see but no no you would wouldn't completely rule it out um, I'd be surprised if he'd win the French Open again, really, I think. Yeah, well, I think... Even though I predicted it last year. <laughs> <laughs> I would put Team and Dahl <laughs> yes. more likely to win the French Open than Djokovic. Um, Olympic year. And an Olympic Ooh, year. That's that. not, not for Team. <laughs> <laughs> Masu's just going to go on his own, yeah. relive the glory days. <laughs> Enter. <laughs> yeah. Go and win it again. Um, yeah, it's... Um, it's very interesting, isn't it, to, to sort of see Djokovic try to wrestle with the history books like this because I, I sense it is it is weighing pretty heavily because it's not these have not this wasn't like last year and neither was a Wimbledon final. He didn't, you know, I mean, he's winning these titles without playing his best. It's incredible in the, in the finals anyway. I mean, he was brilliant on the way, but he showed the stress today, showed the stress at Wimbledon, and yet he still got the job done. Um, this time next year, yeah, he, he could well be sitting with 20, couldn't he? So you think two two more this year he in the could, Australian Open next year? He certainly could. Yeah? He certainly oh, yeah. could. I could imagine him winning it's, Wimbledon in the US. It's one of those where, as much as I feel quite ready for a team or a Medvedev or a Sitsipas to win a slam, I am also completely invested in this Grand Slam race I can completely excited by it and find it compelling all the all the different possibilities you know I was thinking I think I tweeted last year last year that when Federer had two match points in the Wimbledon final it felt like he was going to be the one to end up with the most then Nadal goes and win the, wins the US Open you think actually Nadal's probably going to end up with the most then Djokovic wins the Australian <laughs> Open and you're thinking well, of course, Djokovic is going to end up with the most. It just keeps changing. Yeah. And 
as much as this dominance some people are maybe tiring of it as long as as long as the grand slam race is alive it's always going to be interesting yeah. historically it, we are witnessing an incredible event it, really. it's How, extraordinary every slam history is is either being made or someone's getting closer to rewriting it and you can kind of imagine that in 10 20 years time there will be people we know who will say what well, you covered tennis when those three were all at their best i mean that that i'm sure that will happen mm. that sort of conversation because who knows whether we'll when we'll get a situation like this again well i mean i don't think i don't think we will might do pete sampras 10 years ago pete sampras um, was still the record holder on 14 10 years ago I think is that right yeah, uh, yeah no Federer got him in 09 Wimbledon yeah uh, oh okay so it was just over 10 years ago yeah, yeah. oh I know but three at one time again that's Amazing. that's potentially 60 Grand Slam titles yeah good luck which is what you think isn't it good luck lads you think they're all ending on 20 <laughs> No, I mean, Stand by that. I don't know. I don't. I have no idea. So you're 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 moonwalking away from that prediction. <laughs> I, th- I think, I think it could happen. Oh, anything could happen. <laughs> I sort of said hell. that because it's a nice line. I have no, honestly, <laughs> I have no idea what they're going to end up on. Of course, um, we don't have any idea about anything, and we still do a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. I don't think Federer will win anymore. Um, Pat Cash thinks he'll win another Wimbledon. I, I don't. Um... I can feel the Federer fans just shouting down their phones right now. 
Uh, maybe he will. <laughs> but, I, but I don't know. I mean, look, he had such an incredible chance last year. And he's another year old at this time. And I think, I think that's the only one he can win now. Um, his body is failing him on hard courts at these slams. <clears throat> that's two in a row where his back has gone or his, in this situation his groin has gone. Do you think there's one of the three that, that wants it more than the others? Not really. I think that they're all just so competitive. They, I mean, they're, and they're all playing it down. Well, okay. Djokovic isn't. Mm. I mean, he could make a bigger deal out of it than he does. I think he could come in and say, I want that record, and I'm not going to stop until I get it. But he, he kind of says, well, obviously I want it. But then he goes into his, you know, into, into polite mode, really. Um, but I think, I, th- may, I think maybe it means most to him um, because that would be the ultimate validation of his position in the game because there are people who who will never accept him but if he's got the numbers he can say well screw you there you go he's always been defined by the chase hasn't he he's he was the the third of them to come along and now he's he's trying to catch up it just it fits his narrative that he's chasing it down and it kind of fits Federer's narrative that he's protecting it a little bit. Um, and then Nadal, in a way, I, I think is the one that can get overlooked a little bit in all this. You know, given given how dominant he is at the French Open, you know, two, two more French Opens might be enough for him to end up with the record. And how plausible does that feel? Very plausible. Um, it's very cool. And actually, a, a large takeaway from this tournament is just how um, the narratives of both tours have have been kept. You know, we've seen Djokovic win tonight, Kenin yesterday being a, a new Grand Slam winner and a very young Grand Slam winner. Again, you know, it, how how interesting, just how different the two tours are at the moment. And, you know, you can debate which one you prefer personally i like both you know um one day it might flip um it's it's certainly been the case in the past where the women have had dominant champions and the men have had periods of you know lots of different winners and it just feels like this tournament has just carried on the themes that we've been seeing for the last two years really um yeah, I don't know. I've, I think, and, and, and I think it's going to keep happening. I, I agree with Mats Philander, really. I think we're not, they're getting closer, these, these guys, but they're not there yet um, because the three of them are still around. If there's only one of them still around, it would be different. But And the, the one other factor that I find very interesting this year it, is that Olympic title how that will change the priorities of these people because Djokovic has never won one. Remember how devastated he was when Del Potro beat him. Nadal, Nadal's won won one? He won one. He's won one singles gold and one doubles gold. Um, Federer's got a doubles. Yeah, and and I think that that would be a big deal for him, the singles there in Tokyo. So, and that's in a difficult pocket of the calendar 
after you know you've got Wimbledon then you you go straight into that Olympics and you've got to you've got to be up for that and then you've got to come out of that and play that's a tough ask well it was yeah. Stan Wawrinka who won the last one wasn't it after after Murray had won gold Stan mm. Wawrinka ended up winning mm. the US Open it's maybe that US Open mm. is going to yield a, a bit yeah, of a strange I think result. that's a good shout it's enough to make you want to play Kitschbill <laughs> Dominic, maybe this is it. Maybe team is going to be the one to profit from the Olympics and end up winning his first slam at the US Open. Nothing says that like clay court 250s, does it? <laughs> maybe, I mean, I, Matt and I discussed a couple of weeks ago that we both, in our long range, no one's asking us to make these predictions, predictions, we both had team winning the US Open. Oh, really? Mm. Well, that's good. And, and, and I like, I do, as much as I don't really understand why team's not playing the Olympics, and I don't think that is his reason, I could see that being a knock-on benefit for him. Could um, be, yeah. And I think, you know, if we're talking about Federer's year, the Olympics is best of three, mm. which massively boosts his chances, yeah, I think, does. if, if really he does. were to play Djokovic, certainly. Wow. Um, playing anybody really I mean I do think I do think that does help him I just I think I think in a way it makes him more vulnerable against some of the lower ranked players but I think if he plays a top ranked player it mm. it, it helps him how many up. how many of the these legends how many tennis players full stop are going to be flag bearers for their for their country at that Olympics it, I, I'm I'm I am so pumped. For, I mean, <laughs> Olympics in general, but the Olympic tennis this year, um, I, it is six months away and I am salivating. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. I'm David Law-esque pumped. Wow. Yeah. How about that? Okay. Um, well, meanwhile, Novak Djokovic has just been into the Channel 9 studio. He's just gone on to the... They have that one court um, where they fill it full of fans so they can watch it on the big screen he's been to them now he's being presented to all the fans in Garden Square uh, I went out there earlier there are hundreds of people with Serbian flags chanting his name um, and I reckon he'll be into his press conference in about three hours the way things are going Uh, in which case I'll be on a flight at that point with me yeah with you we're going on a flight um, to, to so we can watch the NFL watch the Super Bowl brilliant Catherine more pumped. NFL Catherine you get to spend another 18 hours getting irritated about NFL yeah what was Great. it you said lots of blokes leaning forwards but bending over yeah, yeah while a clock doesn't tick down as you Brilliant. can tell I've got a bit, I've got my work cut out to get her into it but I believe in myself I've, I've had the Super Bowl described to me in tennis terms oh, yeah. as uh, a matchup between Petra Kvitova and Simona Halep Oh, in terms of the, of the various playing styles between these two particular teams, the San Francisco, the Forty Nine ers against the Chiefs. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So if that's Catherine, wetted really appetite, excited. Catherine, yeah. it's wetted my appetite for Kvitova for against Halep. Halep yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and she's going to spend the whole four hours of the match, and they play four hours, trying to work out which one's which. <laughs> well, well, I've got a day of sightseeing in Melbourne where the forecast is rain and gale force winds. I've told Matt to go to the aquarium. Yeah. Right. See all the deadly jellyfish that Australia has to offer. Fantastic. So hang on, is the Super Bowl happening like tonight? Yeah, in about... about While we're on the... Pl- oh, yeah. okay. I'll give it a whirl. Okay. You're going to need to t- show me how to who's, make the who's telly work. Playing, who's doing the halftime show? 
Uh, it's going to be J-Lo and uh, Shakira. Right. Yeah. Great. Uh, like the Davis Cup closing ceremony. Can you show me how to use, yes. use the telly on the With plane? With added J-Lo. I, you know, I don't know how to use it. Sure. Thanks. Um, right. Uh, doubles final. C- can I just say something very quickly yeah. about the singles final? It's boring and um, moany. Um, but I've seen a load of people on Twitter having a go at... Uh, both team and Djokovic for not pledging all of their prize money to bushfire relief and it's just really annoyed me because A, not everybody is public about their charitable donations you've got no idea what what these people have with um, contributed to, to bushfire relief or other charities for that matter and just the sort of virtue signalling pylon of, uh, I know that's not the intended consequence of, of what Zverev did, and his pledge was extremely generous. But um, equally, the, um, the the subsequent ple- pressure applied to, to other players to make some kind of public uh, gesture. I don't. I just I don't feel that's on. Yeah. Well, well said. I agree. Um, and I think tennis overall, uh, this tournament have have put together about six million um which is which is great yeah and that's as i say that's only public that's yeah. only what's known about publicly yeah um, no you're so. right I, I i think that's a good a point well made uh, doubles final men's doubles final won by britain's uh, joe salisbury and uh, america's rajiv ram and uh, it was their first it was the first ever slam for joe salisbury who played brilliantly today and Rajiv Ram, I didn't realise this, he's 35 years of age, he'd never won a men's double slam either, he'd won a mixed double slam last year, but what a moment for him. It was something like his 58th men's grand slam really? tournament, something like that, 56th or 58th, and he finally got his first one, and for a, it's one of those partnerships which has massively worked out for both of them. I mean, Joe Salisbury... You know, not many people knew about Joe Salisbury 18 months ago, and now he's a Grand Slam champion. And Ram has it's helped him get over the line. And they were, I mean, they were the seeded team. They're up against an inexperienced pair, and they just showed their class in that in that match. They were the number of great points they created in, in men's doubles, where serve dominates, was extraordinary. They were so good on return, and Joe Salisbury in particular felt like the best player on the court he was he was fantastic and he's now put himself in a position talking about the olympics to mm. to be at the olympics it, well, and and he would get choice of partner he's this puts him up to four in the world mm. and if he's top 10 at exactly. the time of olympics he gets to select his partner and he was asked by by russell fuller uh, on the bbc explicitly would you like to play with andy murray and he said yeah uh, that would be super cool, um, and I'd love that. Which, I mean, tough one for Jamie Murray. Mm. Very tough on that. But, I mean, amazing for Joe Salisbury. And Rajiv Ram, I learned today, used to be coached by Australian yeah. Open Tournament Director Craig Tiley. Well, would you believe I knew this? Because And, when, and it was only when, when he said that on court that it reminded me I remember being in the tournament in Gestad in, I think, about 2002 when I met Craig Tiley. 
I'd, know, I'd never met him before. He was, and he'd, he'd come over, I think, to sort of run some some sort of camps, uh, like uh, training camps. And, and I, I got chatting to him, and I actually found him really good company, really really good to talk to. It was way before his tennis Australia days, and he he used to be, I think, the head coach or captain of the Illinois university tennis team and he was there he was doing that for about 10 years and he ran the whole program at, at illinois university and on his team was rajiv ram um you may remember a player called amir delich i don't know if you remember him mm. and he told me about those two and, and it was one of those where you know how somebody tells you about a player who's who's or coming up or who's uh, at college and you, i just remember writing these down on a piece of paper right i'm going to look out for these these guys you know and see who see what they're like um well, what he's like is a man with a serve that's a carbon copy of Pete Sampras. Yeah, yes. Yeah. I, I love it when that happens. Down to what he does with his yeah, left foot. To the ticks. Yeah. yeah. It's extraordinary. Very, very. Um, and I think actually, uh, I think Kevin Anderson went to that university as well. Yes. If, if that's I think where he right. Met Kelsey. Right, okay. Um, so very well done to Rajiv Ram and Joe Salisbury who beat Max Purcell and Luke Saville and it was pretty one-sided. Well, not related, unexpectedly not related. <laughs> yeah, they do look incredibly similar as Catherine said, hairstyle-wise. 6-4, uh, 6-2. Six, six, it turns out, guys, bad hair doesn't win you Grand Slam titles. That's what we've learned today. <sighs> oh, well, <laughs> could have been predicted. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in the uh, the wheelchair singles finals, uh, Yui Kamiji won six two six two, and that's, uh, a, that's an Australian Open double for her. And Shingo Kaneda, I think, won about tenth title or something like that. I heard He's today incredible. against yeah. uh, Gordon Reed six four six four. So very well done. Um, and that is about a wrap for the Australian Open in twenty twenty, both for the tournament and and I should say, I think Novak Djokovic finished his title winning match nearly two hours ago and we're still looking at a screen watching him walk down the corridor back from those fans in Garden Square where he'd been greeting them there's a chap who's following him carrying his trophy and now he's he's already done his Channel 9 studio interview he's about to walk past us he's 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 down there he is literally uh, about 50 feet away from us uh I can actually hear people shouting his name as he walks past at the moment. And there's a scramble, uh, and he's walking up onto a balcony. And because he'll be going into the next uh, big stadium, there won't he? Is. he? Yeah, there he is. All right, Nova. Yeah, he's just going on the balcony over there. And, um, and he's, he's on his way, I think, to ESPN's TV studio. And he'll do this, he'll go to all of these big. TV and this will last for hours and then eventually he'll come into the media centre and he'll sit he'll talk to all the, the media in English media then he'll s- we have a provisional time for Novak Djokovic's interview in the main interview room this provisional time is 1.50 this is subject to change one fifty. So thank you very much to Alan Preston of the uh, media team here. So one f- 10 to 2 in the morning is when Novak Djokovic will do his press comments. He'll speak in English, then he'll speak in Serbian, then he'll do a load more one-to-one interviews. He'll probably get to bed at about 4, and that's even without a celebration. Sometimes they go straight to the airport. He might go straight to the airport, or he might do because we've. Oh, we, they do a photo shoot. We, we, yeah. We've sometimes shared flights though with the champions here. We're on a six a.m. flight. Aren't I was we? on Djokovic's flight last year. Right, um, and and sometimes they go as Sophia Kennan did today into one of the parks and 
have the trophy and do a big photo shoot. It wasn't that a nice scene today. She was so chuffed. Yeah, if you haven't seen those pictures and the um, the the dress she wore, then check them out. It's extraordinary. I love the idea that she might have just had that in her suitcase, <laughs> ready to go, just in case. Uh, she's a Rifle cool. through a wardrobe and thought, yeah, I'll pack that. It's you never <laughs> know when you'll need it. It's a very cool outfit. So, uh, yeah, she looks like a queen. So, um, yeah, um, Djokovic, I think he's talking to Mats Philander, actually, as well. So that's his latest interview, and it's just a scene out there. Um, so, yeah, that's it, really. The Australian Open has come to an end for another year. Um, don't forget that... Uh, that package of stuff that uh, the fever tree championships are offering that we are sponsored by them for this particular episode so we want to tell you about that which we did at the start um the most wonderful opportunities to go and watch live tennis up close and have a fantastic day get yourself wined and dined and uh, the details are on our show notes uh, the link is there if you want to go and check the, the details of all that out um catherine matt butler crumble crumble who's been our australian open mascot and and just the best Australian Open mascot we could possibly have expected to have had. Uh, what a treat to have had Crumble. Uh, Butler, we've got you throughout the rest of the year. But, yeah, Jim Boyle, who's the, who's the owner of Crumble, uh, has done us proud, I would say. Jim does good dog. Yeah. Yeah, good dog, good content. Yeah. Great yeah. stuff. We're happy. <laughs> and and, and to, to everybody who backed our Kickstarter to crowdfund us for this year... Well, you people are the reason that Matt and Catherine are sitting around this table right now, sending us out here to to Melbourne. Yes, I was here for the BBC, but the rest of the whole podcast is because of you. So can't thank you enough for your support. Um, And, you know, we we hope we've done you proud. And the the idea for the rest of the year is to to continue in a similar vein. We want to do as many great shows as we can. Well, we hope hope you think they're good anyway. Um, (laughs) Uh, oh, humble brag <laughs> and um, and I should also say we're going to have we, we, we're going to have an, a big interview coming your way very very soon maybe even next week we, 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 we're, we're just working out when to put it out it's an interview Catherine and I did yesterday with the 2013 Wimbledon champion Marion Bartoli and it's it's one of the most important interviews and um, moving experiences I've ever had in, in this sport and in and broadcasting in it and, and talking about tennis. And, uh, and she, well, I don't want to say too much more. You listen to it yourself, but I think, Catherine, you would concur. I'm nodding. Yeah. Mm. Uh, so that'll be coming your way soon. We'll let you know on our normal channels when, when Marion Bartley, the interview, is, is out. Um, and... That's about it, folks. Except Get... what? Matt's got shout a last out. three oh. Australian Open shout out. How dare I? Yeah. Oh, by the way, anybody who's, who's uh, paid for the intros, you will be getting them. We'll be sorting out a system so that you can get them to us. And uh, and yeah, introducing the show. Lots and lots of people. Uh, but we've also got shout outs. Matt, who we got? We have Angela Link. Good work, Angela. Jessica Thompson. Jessica. And. Cherie McDermott. Cherie, is that pronounced correctly? Or Sherry? Well, Sherry. Was it Cherie Blair or Sherry Blair? I really don't know, but Cherie, Sherry, you're a legend. Thank you all the same, and yeah. you, Jessica, and you, Angela. Thank you very much for Thank your support. You. You, you've been brilliant, and, and as have everybody. Um, we're going to go and get a flight. <laughs> go home now. <laughs> sit on it for 24 hours. Um, yeah. 
Matt's going to the aquarium. Going yes, I'm going to the aquarium and then a flight. And I land on Tuesday lunchtime in the UK. And because I can't get enough of tennis, <laughs> on Wednesday lunchtime, I'm going to Belgium for Fed Cup. Hey, excellent. <laughs> which, All happening. which I agreed to before the tournament. <laughs> And now you're exhausted. And now I'm exhausted. But, but, you know, it'll be great. He can't wait. Uh, so that, that's all coming up. Um, I should say as well, as I mentioned, our Kickstarter for 2020 is over. Uh, we have finished our crowdfunding. We're set for the year. We know what we're doing. Um, but if you've only just started listening to the tennis podcast throughout the Australian Open and think, oh, I wish I could have contributed because I've enjoyed it and I want to help out, um, we do have a link in our show notes as well just to get yourself a reminder when we start our next one it's ages away it's december you know it's ages away do not need to worry about it but if you want a reminder in december uh, because you've enjoyed the show get on that list and you'll have one email in december on december the first to remind you so that's it Catherine. been a pleasure i don't like endings no but the beauty is the podcast goes on and on and on and we just come back next time. <laughs> I'm genuinely nervous about us sharing a plane together for the first time. I'm not that energetic on planes. I'm, as an outsider, very excited about it. <laughs> <laughs> you can hear all about it, Matt. Matt, you've been a legend. Hasn't he been a legend? He really has. He's the best, isn't he? Yep. Oh, very, very best. We all agree. You had a good time. The Australian really Open great. champions are Sophia Kennan, Novak Djokovic, and Matt Roberts. And on that Stolt note, Crumble. St- yeah, Crumble. I think Crumble would have beaten them all. <laughs> <laughs> He'd have taken you out, Novak. No worries. Uh, she. Sorry. <laughs> I think it's time to go, folks. <laughs> uh, thanks for listening Then your company, and we'll see you next time. Um, and bye. 